if you understand uh, what I'm saying to you, what should your relation be to any object that arises in consciousness? Your mind is incredibly tricky. Where did you learn how to be so tricky? Mommy and Daddy. Bedtime. You want to see... You want, I don't know, you want to watch the late show, right? And mom and dad say, bedtime. What was your strategy? How about when you wanted to go to a movie? Who did you ask? When you wanted a cookie, what was your strategy? You see, you learn from day one how to be tricky. What's the first trick you learn? Crying and giggle smiling. Look at it. You can't, ha, 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 oh, cute kitty, give him a cookie. Right? Or, you know, it's not working, it's not working. <laughs> and, you, and after that, everything's refinement. If you, look at how, if you look at your ego and how it works, you're either laughing, seducing, hey, there, yeah, yeah. So laughing, right, you know, being cute and, you know, being charming. So you've had to learn how to manipulate your external world by being agreeable and nice, and you learn how to manipulate your internal world by sometimes being nice and sometimes being miserable. But if you look at it, the whole thing is revolving around what? Getting the object, whether it's the breast or the attention or the relief from the toothache, get away from the bad, get towards the good. These objects accumulate, accumulate, and accumulate. Now, the most important objects in your consciousness as an I identity happen before you are one. Before you own your, before you know your own name, before you even know that mother and you are different entities, you already have objectification in your consciousness. You've already learned how to manipulate and control to some degree. Every year you get older, your object flexibility decreases in the same way that your body gets stiffer. When you're 20, you know, you remember 20, you go with anybody. You would sleep in ditches, you eat any kind of food, you know, you're whatever. You get to be 50, you go, okay, can I see your resume? As you get older, your object constancy gets stronger and stronger, and therefore your ego inflexibility gets stronger and stronger, and your and your flexibility in terms of identity gets less and less. It's a natural process, unless you do something about it. Therapy is great for bringing a self-awareness into the nature of the objects that you cling to, or the nature of the objects that you have aversion to, or more importantly, the objects that you've shut down and put into the shadow or the id, depending on whether you're quoting Jung or Freud. Those things go into the shadow. You don't deal with those. Whatever's in your shadow, when you're 20, becomes your personality when you're 40. Whatever is in your shadow when you're 40, becomes your personality when you're 60. Whatever is in your shadow when you're 60, becomes your personality when you're 80. Whatever is in your shadow when you're 80, becomes the driving force of the bardo after you die. You want to change that from object attachment and object clinging. You want to change that into a new seed. And the new seed is the seed of transcendent or transcendentalizing, to make it a verb, <laughs> transcendentalizing consciousness. You do that in every moment, but you do that in every moment by doing what with your bliss? Letting, Letting it go. Letting the bliss go is the key to transcendence. What do you do with the analytical mind? You give up what you know, 
in order to inquire about what you don't know. Because, you know, people who have a lot of analytical investment always have to know. And that is the same thing as clinging to bliss. It may be blissful, but it isn't taking it to transcendence because you won't let go of it. And it may be knowing, but it isn't leading to wisdom because you're not willing to let go of it. So how do you go from knowledge to wisdom? By letting go of the previous piece of knowledge. By letting go of the previous piece of knowledge, you get wisdom where you had knowledge. But where are you resting now? In the unknown. So the ultimate wisdom is resting in the unknowable. And what is the unknowable in another word? It's the emptiness or the Tathagatagarbha or transcendental realization. From there you can examine and know more, or from there you can get involved in a sense store function, or you can get involved in a mind or function that is immediately, immediately blissful. No matter what that object is, including a mosquito bite. You see the difference. If you're attached to bliss, you always have to get rid of the stuff you don't want and hang on to the stuff you do want. So your bliss is dependent upon the object. You let go of the object, you dwell in the emptiness, then whatever object that arises, whatever object that arises is blissful. Flip it, same thing on the other side. For wisdom, you have to let go of the, the security of being the knower and rest in the, the huge angst of unknowing which, curiously enough, produces wisdom. Two tie together. But the meditation itself actually starts out from a point of view of bliss. The uh, thing to recognize about mantra and visualization work is it's basically a sedative to your object-orientated habitual consciousness. It's not supposed to be fun. In fact, fundamentally, from an object-orientated point of view in consciousness, mantra and visualization <coughs> is going to be what? Or? Boring. boring. Why is it work and why is it boring? Repetitive. It's repetitive. But what is it that you know about your own consciousness when you watch it? It's repetitive. <laughs> what is it repetitive about? Me. Me. What is this repetitive about? It's repetitive about the transcendental seed. You're doing this repetitiveness in order to seed to plant the seed of the transcendental potential. When you go repetitive about me, what are you, what are you going on about? Me. So what do you get in the end? More me. So why don't you like to meditate? It's because it's me. I'm, I'm sick and tired of listening to me. I'd rather go fishing or I'd rather go dancing because when I'm dancing, I can temporarily replace the me by the dancing. It works as long as you don't have to dance for a living. The minute you have to dance for a living, what happens, you know, I'd rather be fishing, unless, of course, you are a fisherman. It's only work if you'd rather be doing something else. So why is meditation work for so many people? Because they'd rather be thinking about what gives them pleasure or happiness or a hit. But what happens with that pleasure, happiness or a hit is that it's unsustainable. You always got to go get another one. So you're constantly chasing your tail, 
trying to get happy and blissful, going new places, doing new things, that's great, all for it. But the point is, you're chasing your tail, trying to be happy, chasing an object, in order to avoid what happens when you stop and you do absolutely nothing. What happens when you stop and do absolutely nothing? Tendency is, the, uh, the mind goes to me, 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 my, 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 my. Until the transcendent moment, when you realize that you don't need the me or the I in order to enjoy the object. In other words, nothing really changes with the transcendental experience except that rather than identifying the object as a possession or an action that you need to get or hang on to, that it's there without you and you don't need the extra weight of the you, you just drop it out. So the purpose of the mantra and the purpose of the visualization and the purpose of the mudra is to plant the seed of the transcendental through something that you can relate to. But we can't make it chocolate cake. Why can't we use chocolate cake as a bliss object? No, not because it brings pleasure. Because it's not the seed of the transcendental. The chocolate cake is aimed at satisfying one thing. The sense door of taste leading to bliss it can't be maintained. The minute you finish the chocolate cake, you got to go get the ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Even your ability to relate to this question <laughs> probably gives some indication of what your path is. So why stick with the mantra and the visualization even when it's boring and tiring and not going anywhere? What is it actually showing you? Yeah, it shows you how stuck you are. It shows you how stuck you are on being addicted. You're out. This is boring. Why is it boring? I mean, how does something become boring? It's not giving you the stimulus. It's not giving you the. It's not giving you the hit. It's not. It's not feeding your addiction to bliss happiness. But why aren't bliss happiness things satisfying either? Because they end. Because they end. You can't hang on to them. They seep through your fingers. But with the transcendent experience, nothing is boring. Nothing. And everything is blissful. Even the unpleasant. So they say a Buddha or a fully realized being is never out of first jhana. They're always dwelling in the in the lowest grade of bliss, and the minute they stop talking, <laughs> right, and just kind of settle in, it very quickly goes two, three, four, five. So I'm basically trying to talk you in here. I'm trying to sell you something, and what I'm trying to basically sell you is that no matter how bored or how restless or how repetitive or how stupid it seems to be doing the practice, do it anyway. And this is the same no matter what kind of meditation you're doing. And then watch the nature of the consciousness wrestle with this uh, object thing. And if you do that, you are doing the interior or inner practice of Manjushri versus the outer practice of Manjushri. Now, the outer practice of Manjushri is what? The visualization and the mantra. The inner practice of Manjushri is watching the nature of the ego mind grasp after or repulse against this or that arising physically, emotionally, or mentally about what's going on in consciousness. In other words, it's basically just to keep you present, for you to watch what happens with all these things, sensations, emotions, concepts, ideas, boredom, restlessness. Oh, wow, this is great. I love this. This is fantastic. I could do this all day. Two minutes later, you're bored. 
Oh, yeah, okay, I'm Manjushri, I got it. No, oh, cool. <laughs> the secret aspect of Manjushri is that bliss and wisdom are contained in every moment of consciousness. Bliss because there's nothing wrong with this moment, and wisdom because I understand that there's nothing wrong with this minute. You can you can frame it in two ways, either the positive or the negative. What's wrong with that? Or what's wrong in that sound? Hmm? What's right in that sound? Nothing. Nothing. Right? So either you phrase it as a positive or negative, the point is is that this moment of consciousness is for all beings the Tagatagarbha. This moment of consciousness for all beings is Buddha nature. This moment of consciousness for all beings is transcendentalizing wisdom. Now, keep those little eyes and ears and nose and mouth alert to see what little octopi or mice or birdies or whatever come into the field of experience and recognize it for what they are. Arisings in consciousness that have curiously no need for eye referencing in order to experience them. The eye reference starts the minute you are drawn to one and repulsed from the other which is fine, you can be drawn to one and repulsed from one, but in the being drawn to one and repulsed from the other, what are you going to be watching? You're going to be watching that the I is the I is defined as the one that is drawn to one and repulsed from the other. So the minute there's a drawn to one and a repulsed from the other, you're there. And then the secondary aspect of that is how you then try to manipulate and control the world to get over there, to get away from there, and you watch the whole game being played. So that's your root practice for the next 10 days. See it as an unknown journey into an unknown land, and all you need really is an inquisitive and open mind and see where it goes. You're exploring a strange land. That's the stranger in a strange land. So you're going to either go kicking and screaming because that's your identity, or you're going, okay, it's going to be great, we're going to have a fantastic time, or, oh, I don't know, the uh, skeptic. The mantra is very simple, and the visualization is very simple, and so you just spend your time as much as you can doing the mantra and repeating the visualization. If you find that you're obsessed with dialogue or objects of consciousness, you do the mantra and the visualization. If you find that consciousness rests into spacious, clear, radiant openness, drop the mantra and drop the visualization and just rest in that state. If you find that from the state of spacious, clear, blissful emptiness, your mind starts to wander into objects, what do you do? Pick up the visualization and pick up the mantra. In other words, if you're in a clear, spacious, open, place, you can drop the mantra in the visualization. If, on the other hand, you're starting to get back into your history or your history, you get that mantra in visualization going again. The only other thing is about posture. Please try to keep as much as you can 
a straight back. But don't kill yourself over it. You don't take when you come home as walk you don't do you don't take when you come home as walk you don't do you don't take when you come home as walk you don't do. So they stasukita hunto. First one means uh, may whatever good feeling or whatever good experience has been shared here tonight, may it be shared by all beings everywhere. And the second one means may you be well and happy.